0: Hello and welcome to season two of the Living Real Podcast. This is a place for discovering what it truly means to live out real faith in real life for Christ in the real world. My name is Melanie Shawl, your host as well as founder and editor in chief of Living Real Magazine. This season we will be providing a two-part podcast every month. Part one. We'll be opening God's Word together to grow as we deepen and strengthen the roots of our faith, to discover more about God and His character, and to pray for infusing what we learn into our everyday lives. Part two will be a conversation with a guest to encourage us along our faith walks to become more like Christ. I'm so excited about this season, and I hope you are. So are you ready? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to part one of season two, episode seven of the Living Real podcast. I've entitled our time in the word today, Why Israel? So let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 135, verse four. It says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Now this may sound like an unusual verse to dig into for a Living Real podcast, but I came across this verse after being deeply impacted by a particular portrait drawn by our podcast guest, who you'll hear from in part two of this episode. You definitely don't want to miss this one. Psalm 135.4 concludes a call to praise for the people of Israel in verses 1-3. through 3. The psalmist understands that the nation of Israel was set apart from the rest of the nations for God's glorious purpose and plan. He's reminding them of who God is and what He's done for them as a nation. As he calls out to them to praise and bless the name of the Lord, the psalmist challenges them to remember. Why Israel? Why is this tiny country in the Middle East, surrounded by regimes who want to annihilate them, still significant today? We could spend hours talking about the significance of Israel, but for the purpose of this podcast, let's focus on three specific reasons. Number one, The nation of Israel was divinely designed before time began to reveal God's story of redemption throughout all of Scripture. God's historical timetable revolves around the Jewish nation, Israel. Number two, the Hebrew language, a beautiful collection of symbols given by God to his people, and it's the original language of the Scriptures. The Hebrew alphabet encapsulates layers upon layers of amazing truths about the mystery himself, Jesus, the Son of God. Our English language doesn't even come close to expressing all God has packed into the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's truly mind-blowing. Number three, Israel was set apart from its inception to reflect and declare God's holy character including his faithfulness, mercy, love, and grace, to be a people who worshipped only him, loved him with a whole heart, to serve him faithfully and to follow his commandments. For thousands of years, the Jewish people have endured horrific suffering, some inflicted because of the consequences of their own disobedience. Other suffering results from a continuation of Satan's plan to thwart God's redeeming work to restore all that's been broken by sin. In Genesis 3, when God put enmity or strife between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, spiritual warfare ensued and has been playing out in the heavenly realms ever since. Jesus, the Messiah, conquered sin and the grave. But he will eliminate satan the father of lies when he crushes his head at the end of the age oh how i wish i had time to dive into that significant piece of biblical prophecy but we'll save it for another time millions of jews have lost their lives through the ages but their lineage and multiplying on the earth has never stopped evil men have plotted and planned seeking to rid the world of the jewish race but to no avail. Anti-Semites are rampant all over the world, but they will never be successful in their schemes to eliminate God's people. Why? Because God has not and will not allow His plan to falter. As we Christians continue to watch and wait for the return of Christ, we must be paying attention to the events surrounding Israel because Israel is central to God's timetable and the fulfilling of biblical prophecy. Jerusalem is where Christ will return to set up his kingdom on earth to reign for a thousand years. Those divinely filled by the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures were Jews. They wrote the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. The Messiah was a Jew, we must love and have compassion for the people God chose to reveal himself through. Now we who believe in Jesus and are not of Jewish descent, we have been adopted into God's chosen race by grace through faith. The Apostle Peter affirms this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you, that's all who believe, are a chosen race I was compelled to bring you on this journey with me today into Why Israel? Because of my precious guest, Mary Burkett. Her unique art has given me an even deeper glimpse into the spiritual significance of the Jewish people. Earlier this summer, I was invited to be in the audience during a filming for a documentary about her work. I had no idea what I was in for. The Beloved, The Children of the Holocaust, include 27 portraits of young children who were killed at Auschwitz. As these portraits have traveled to so many parts of the world, these precious children are telling God's salvation story in a miraculous way. Psalm 8.2 says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Mary's little ones, so beautifully drawn, have been resurrected, so to speak, to establish God's strength before his foes, and have been purposed to steal the enemy of his children. These innocent babies' faces have penetrated my heart so severely that they take my breath away. One in particular melts my heart every time I see his sweet little face. His name? Israel. Israel. How much do you know about the children of Israel, their journey through the ages, God's plan of redemption to save the world from sin and death? How much do you know about the Holocaust, another of Satan's many attempts to derail God's plan? I challenge you to read the word, study it, dig deep and learn all you can. Develop a biblical worldview and I promise you'll never see the world in the same light again. Now, as we move into part two, I invite you to visit maryburkettart.com and to read Mary's amazing story in an article called A Pencil in His Hand. I've also included a supporting article called His Name is Israel. Both articles are in volume 22 of Living Real Magazine, which is available in October of 2021. Check out our website for more stories about real people living out their real faith in Jesus Christ at livingrealmag.com. Thank you for joining me for part one. Now please stay tuned for part two, my conversation with Mary, the artist of the beloved, children of the Holocaust. Well, welcome back to the Living Real podcast. And today my guest is Mary Burkett from West Columbia, South Carolina. And I met Mary um, about a month ago now when I was able to uh, listen to her tell her story about the beloved, um, the children of the Holocaust. And I want to share her bio with you though in her own words as we get started today one pencil seven months one untrained artist in a nutshell that in, that is the story of the beloved with no artistic training i felt compelled to draw a little hirsch in january of 2017. no one could have been more surprised than i when he peeked out of the paper at me After I finished his portrait, I began looking for other children whose lives had been cut tragically short in the Holocaust. I felt that not only their lives, but their voices had been taken from them and I wanted to give them a chance to speak to the world. Simply put, I wanted to honor their precious little lives. And I'll have to say, Mary, you have done that, especially for me on that day that I got to to sit and and watch and visit, which we'll talk about a little later, but welcome to the Living Real Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Melanie.
0: Well, I'm excited that you are here and that we have an incredible story to share with our listeners today as we unpack real people, real faith, and real life. So let's get started, and first off, um, before we even talk about you in everyday life, let's just talk about this particular part with the Beloved, the children of the Holocaust. So give us a little background of how this art form and um, collection of these children came
1: about. I decided in 2017 in January, as part of a New Year's resolution, that I wanted to try to learn how to draw and i've never had any art lessons my only previous experience with that was about 10 years earlier when i had checked a book out of the library that was called something like how to draw (laughs) and i have to confess that i perused it i didn't read it and um i tried a couple of the things that the author said to do um and then i was busy with life so it's like a lot of other things that just went by the wayside and i returned the book but i did spend a lot of time Melanie, thinking about that uh and the the artist who had written the book was incredibly proficient the portraits were really beautiful um but there was something about them that just looked like a drawing to me there was something missing they didn't seem as though they were alive even though they were so technically proficient and for whatever reason i have a uh, a sketch by Michelangelo that hangs next to my bed and it's been there for years and it's of an angel and I thought and thought and thought about well what is the difference what is the difference mm-hmm. between what that artist did and what Michelangelo did because there was some life there that was so intriguing to me and so as I thought about that it occurred to me that it was really the softness that seem to matter in some way Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought a lot for years about well how could you do something incredibly soft artistically and I decided that the way to do that would be to use uh, some sort of medium that would be almost like dust if you will and to use a q-tip Or a cotton ball to apply it to the paper um, incredibly softly with no lines and so that's the idea that I had in January of 2017 and I bought a pencil and uh, not with the intention of using it as a pencil Mm -hmm. I was planning to grind it up and uh, use it for my uh, (laughs) dust And um, it was entirely random. I didn't have any idea what the medium was. I didn't have any idea the weight of the paper. I don't know anything about any of that. And um, then I just looked on the internet for something to draw, something Mm -hmm. that inspired me. And I think that I was searching probably under some heading like vintage photography. And I saw pictures of Um, You know, ballet dancers and Native Americans and all sorts of interesting things, athletes. Um, And then one day, a picture of a little boy just popped up on the screen. And literally, he just jumped right into my heart. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I knew wow. that I was supposed to draw him. I didn't have any idea if I could. Everybody tells me portraiture is the most difficult thing to do in art. Um, and yet, I sat right down and, uh, at the kitchen table and started working on him. And I started drawing his little eyes first. And um, in just three or four hours, literally, he just peeked out of the paper at me. Wow. And I just said, well, hello, little darling. (laughs) And I turned around to my husband and I said, there's a little boy in there. And um, I worked on him several more days until he was finished. And of course, what I didn't know about Hirsch when I first saw him was that he had died at Auschwitz. He had been murdered at Auschwitz in 1944. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't imagine that somebody had killed this little boy. So beautiful. And I just thought so much about the love his mother had for him. Um, You know, I think about our own children, how they're absolutely the light of our lives, Mm. our treasures from heaven. Yes,
0: yes, they are.
1: And to have somebody absolutely carelessly and ruthlessly just extinguish that little life uh, was just incomprehensible to me. Mm. And so I started looking for children who had died in the Holocaust, but I was interested in the years before the Holocaust when they were home safe with their mom and dad and they were just, just kids. Oh, yeah. And um, I, that's what I started drawing. And um, I have uh, a little over a hundred of them now.
0: Wow, I keep, I, on this podcast, they're gonna hear the word wow probably a thousand times because it is such a wow story. Um, and it's not one that anyone could just make up. This is something that God has purposed you to do. I mean, I don't know of any other way to explain it, but that God has purposed you to do what you're doing right now. And what would be, I guess, the message that you're trying to tell with these little children?
1: Well, you know, in the beginning, Melanie, I didn't have any idea what the message was. I didn't Mm -hmm. even have any idea there was a message. Um, You know, this began, in the exact opposite way from most things that you do in your adult life. It wasn't an idea, it wasn't a project, it wasn't a collection, it wasn't an undertaking. Um, I didn't think to myself, wouldn't it be cool to do a series of portraits about the Holocaust? Um, All I did was just sit down to draw. So there there was nothing there, there was nothing attached to it in terms Mm -hmm. of meaning. Um, I just knew that I was compelled to do it. And I did it every day. And I would uh, look, um, as I was drawing one, I'd be looking to see who would choose me next because there were uh, a lot of their images online. And people have often asked me how I choose them. And truthfully, I think they choose me uh, because I just know um, in some way when I see their image, it almost looks sort of backlit to me in some way where I just know that the child is saying, here I am. And um, so I draw them. And so it it took me quite a while. And I will tell you that I have (laughs) such wonderful memories of probably the first, oh, probably nine months of that year of 2017, maybe the first six months because um, the children, and Ronnie, my husband, and I call them the babies. (laughs) And the babies just lived in the kitchen with us and nobody else in the world knew about the babies they just were our babies Mm -hmm. and we would take the art pad out in the evenings and we would flip through and look at them and talk about them and of course i looked up biographical information about them trying to find out about their little lives and it almost felt as though they were joining our family in some some way and um when i was asked to exhibit them the first time publicly uh, Ronnie and I sat down again in the kitchen to talk about this because we feel very protective of the babies and we don't want people capitalizing on their lives or misusing them in any way. And uh, Ronnie actually teared up and he said, Well, Mary, we let our own children go. I guess we can let them go too.
0: Oh my goodness. That is just so powerful.
1: And so, in answer to your question of five minutes ago, <laughs> um, It took me a long time to have some idea about what was going on, what the message was, what what the purpose was. But I believe two things. First of all, the message is different for different people. People bring their own life experience to their meeting of the Beloved, and they carry away their own message. And people will tell me many different things that the Beloved mean to them and the ways that they speak to them. Um, all through the power of God, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the message is that we are all the beloved, that every single life is precious, unique, irreplaceable, created by God, and should be honored in that way.
0: I think that's beautiful. So, but, so just listening to you talk about keeping the babies in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you you know, just between you and Ronnie, and like you. Um, them joining your family, and that's probably how God, you know, did this process, is because He wanted you to fall in love with those little little ones before mm-hmm. you um, were asked to show them to other people. And who were some of the first people that you showed your artwork to before you did an exhibit?
1: The first couple that we showed them to are friends of ours. They came over to dinner, and when dinner was over, Ronnie said, why don't you show them the babies? And I was really reluctant to do that because I'm not an artist, and I didn't have any idea if they were quote unquote unquote, good enough to (laughs) to show anybody. And um, I don't know anything about technique. I don't know anything about materials. so. Nowadays, some artistic people will say to me, well, you know you're using the wrong paper or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to tell you. I used the wrong paper. But I mean, I had all those same insecurities, you know. And when I took the pad out and I just said, I've been drawing these children that died in the Holocaust. And I flipped the pad and showed them the first one. And all I can tell you is they were absolutely arrested. It's like the whole room just became so still. And then I started turning the pages and just showing them. And um, I think at that point I probably had not very many, three or four, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And uh, the husband in this couple, who is usually really talkative and has a lot to say, was very quiet. And he said, I think this has implications for world peace. And I said, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? That's deep. Yeah, that's deep. (laughs) I'm just a lady in West Columbia, South Carolina, drawing at her kitchen table. (laughs) And, but he, he felt that there was some really deep significance to it. And he is a very spiritual person. So perhaps he was having insight in that realm. But um, the, the, the good thing that came out of that night is that they said, You have to keep doing this. And we are going to pray for you about this. And I think to this day, they have faithfully done that, have prayed about the journey of the beloved. Ah, oh, that is so
0: special. To especially, you know you think your friends are going to say oh those are beautiful that's great whatever but they took it to another level to encourage you to keep doing it and not only that but to pray you through it right that's just you just can't ask for you know more um uh affirmation right as to god calling you to do this incredible incredible work um and I also hear, as you're saying, you know, you were afraid to show them mm-hmm. because of the insecurity you had. Um, and I think that that message rings true for all of us. No matter what God's called us to do, mm-hmm. we feel very insecure, ill-equipped, um, unworthy. To be his messenger or to do whatever it is that he's called us to do but I think you told me in a conversation that we had that all you did was say yes so tell me a little bit about that surrendering what when did that surrender happen after you started the drawing or before when you just I guess at the end of retirement you weren't sure what, where, what you're gonna do
1: you know I'm not exactly sure when the yes came but mm-hmm it mainly because I didn't know he was asking something oh, okay I didn't know he was asking something um, he didn't say Mary draw me a collection about the Holocaust that we're gonna send around the world right. but he didn't give me any insight into it and I think that that is the case for many of us mm-hmm. that we don't see his hand we don't know what is it what it is that he desires and so I think often we talk ourselves out of things because we think it's, it's just me talking inside my head. That's just a silly idea. Um, but there was something so compelling about it, so compelling about the children. And it really didn't matter to me if they just stayed in my kitchen forever. It didn't matter. And I didn't think in terms of, well, gosh, this has to go someplace or this has to do something. I would say for the better part of the first year as people started to pay attention to them and started to ask me to exhibit them, I felt very unworthy then because I thought, well, gosh, Lord, if you wanted this done, why didn't you pick some famous artist who could you know, just do a bang-up job of this? And I felt um, that, that maybe he had chosen poorly when he chose <laughs> me. And it took me a while to um, get used to it, Um, Because I will say that, you know, often people want to say to me, well, gosh, you're such a wonderful artist and whatever. And I don't think I'm an artist at all. And so I don't like for that praise to come my way. I don't like for people to say, you're so talented, um, because I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think I'm a vehicle for the work that the Lord wants done. And so I had to learn to filter that through, well, Lord, really, the praise belongs to you. So I'll just pass that on. Mm-hmm. And I learned not to say to people, well, no, I'm really not that good. I, I just say thank you to everybody about everything. And then I try to give all that praise to the Lord.
0: Well, exactly. And we all have those Moses moments. <laughs> Lord, are you sure? Yeah. I'm not the one that you've called to, to really do the task. Um, but he gets so much glory out of choosing the person that he's created for that and you know we may not look look like anything to the people of the world but the
1: lord knows Mm -hmm. that he what he's designed us for and um you know melanie you and i haven't talked about this before but uh, the following year in 2018 he uh, sent a messenger to me in a particular way i say this after it happened because Mm -hmm. i didn't realize at the time what was happening Um, A priest friend of mine had to clarify this for me, (laughs) but uh, she said to me uh, many are chosen but few respond. And she said you were chosen because your heart was fertile ground. And I thought to myself professionally I was a pediatric nurse and I love children and I spent my life, much of my life, taking care of children. And I also had a child who was uh, seriously, seriously ill for many years. And so I know something about the suffering that a mother feels when her child is uh, um, suffering. And so I think all of those things were preparation for me. And so I wouldn't have said that my heart was fertile ground, but apparently the Lord knew that. and. Um, so my only task in that sense was to say, well, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want.
0: Well, just knowing you over the, a little bit of time, because we've only talked a few times, is your gentle spirit comes out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's loud and clear, even though it's gentle. And I think we don't recognize sometimes when God has... Allow that to take place in in our lives to be soft and malleable and workable. That He can do miracles through us. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not looking for the person who says, "Oh, look, Lord, my heart's ready for you." Yeah, you know, He's that's not the the attitude that He's looking for. And your attitude is beautiful. You're so humble. Every time I've spoken with you or talked with you, and who better to draw these precious little children? So um, it's just amazing to, to see what God's doing
1: well, yeah, see, I good. understand who's doing the drawing. Right. That's, that's, that's it. the point. And I often felt, even in the beginning, I would finish in the evening and I would close the pad and put it away. And then the next day, when I would open it up, I would think, gosh, that's so much more beautiful than I remember yesterday. And I always thought, well, maybe the Holy Spirit just comes in the night and just touches that up and oh, <laughs> fixes that beautiful. up for me. Yes. Um, and so. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, Melanie, to know that you are not actually responsible for the results. You are responsible for the obedience. Mm -hmm. And that is a beautiful thing because I don't think in terms of success or failure or Um, You know, are we getting enough attention? Are they going enough places? Are the right things happening? Because that's not my area of expertise. That's God's area of expertise. Exactly. And so I sit down at the kitchen table and I draw. And I try to be as faithful as can be about that. And then He opens doors. And I I think once we
0: relinquish that surrender and follow him with steps of obedience too then what we're doing becomes acts of worship and so i can just picture you sitting at your kitchen table as you shared drawing that first little boy um but then as it became you were compelled to do it Mm -hmm. It, that it was almost like you're doing it for the lord um oh absolutely as a worship experience to me i mean that was just as when i sit at the piano and i played for years at our church, and I've always called that my altar of worship because it doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking out there. It's just I'm playing for Him, Mm -hmm. and I think when we recognize what we're doing is an act of worship to Him as well, it just, I don't know, we're so full, and it's hard to express the, the joy that you feel when you are in his presence like that and you're communicating back and forth with him yeah
1: and you know i mean his was an act of creation Mm -hmm. he created these children and mine is an act of recreation Uh. um on on his behalf for Mm -hmm. his purpose and so it's a very curious thing because i often feel that i am standing behind myself watching me draw watching my hands draw I am not thinking to myself, okay, well, this is where you should shade that and that's how that works and what have you. Mm. I'm, I'm looking for the child. I'm looking and I know the child is in there and um, I don't take any artistic license with anything. I don't try to fix anything up. I wouldn't have any idea how to do that if I wanted to, but mm. I don't because God created them in perfection. And so how could I possibly make them any better? And so it's really interesting because the children reveal themselves at different rates to me, and some of them uh, come very fast. I actually drew a portrait only once, but one time I did it in a day, start to finish in a day. Uh-huh. And it was just like that little person said, hi, here I am, and just <laughs> leapt off the page. <laughs> and then again, you have some of them who are very reticent, very slow to show me who, who they are and where they are. And um, there's some sense that I have of when they're not um, themselves when they're not complete. And um, I love the moment when they look at me Mm -hmm. uh, because then I know they're there and I know we're gonna accomplish whatever needs to get get accomplished. But the other moment that I never see coming is finishing. Um, It's not a process in which I say, okay, you have to do these things and then you're done with that portrait. All of a sudden, without me seeing it coming, it just turns into that little person. And I just say, oh, okay, I'm done. And from that moment on, I can never look at that and see that as a drawing. I mean, to me, that's Edith or that's Israel or that's Hirsch or, you know, whichever one of them it is. It's just those little people. And I never, ever look at one and say, oh, my gosh, I got the shading wrong on that or something. I don't even, in a sense, remember that I drew them. Hmm. Um, The first time that I got them photographed and had art prints made so that the art prints could go someplace. Um, The photographer brought them to me, and he took one out of the the plastic wrap and handed it to me. And I said, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Who drew those? I mean, I didn't even feel like it was me. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: Um, You were sharing um, earlier about a time where It's almost like you were being um, beat over the head that you aren't doing things the correct way Mm -hmm. and by someone who supposedly knows Mm -hmm. how things are to be done. Would you share that piece of um, would-be discouragement
1: (laughs) (laughs) with us? Yes, I um, had the opportunity um, about uh, probably two years ago now uh to go have a a sit down with a famous artist somebody who has had a studio in new york for many years and sells artwork for hundreds of thousands of dollars very successful artist and this was set up through a mutual friend and my purpose in going to see him was to try to find out about the art world. I mean, people were saying to me, you know, do you have gallery representation, do you this, do you that, and I don't have any idea what any of that means. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just go talk to an artist and they can tell me. And I will tell you that um, I was going to his studio and I was driving uh, from the starting location and I got probably five minutes down the road and I heard a voice say, you should turn off the radio and pray and my immediate thought was that something had happened to one of my children. And so I turned the radio off and I started praying the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Prayer. And I prayed for probably five minutes and nobody called me and everything seemed all right, so I turned the radio back on. And again, you should turn the radio off and pray. And so I prayed the whole way to this interview with this gentleman. And uh, I got there and went into his studio. It was very intimidating. He has a very large studio with all sorts of paints and all you know, I mean it looks like Monet lives there. (laughs) And um he had a big work table and so I had brought the originals of the beloved and I laid them out for him and he studied them for a couple minutes and then he looked up at me and he said, I hope you're not telling people you're an artist And I said, Well no I'm not actually I'm telling them I'm not an artist. And he said because this is utter crap." And oh I wow. said, okay. <laughs> and, and he went on to tell me everything that was wrong with them. Everything that I was doing wrong. Uh, the paper and the pencil and the shading and the everything that you can imagine artistically that was wrong with them. Mm. And this went on for about an hour. I mean he was really merciless and um, So, of course, I thanked him, as I thank everybody for everything. And I left there, and I went out to the car, and I really felt like somebody had uh, literally just beaten me up. You know, Mm -hmm. I just felt battered. I really did. And I called my son right away set to tell him what had happened and of course he's a young man so he was angry and he wanted to call this guy and, you know give him a hard time and I said no no <laughs> that's not necessary but it very quickly came to me and I understood that God had prepared me for that because I think without that preparation I might have been so discouraged that I would have just put everything away and mm-hmm. not done anything else with it because he would have confirmed all of my fears in the beginning that it wasn't any good, that it wasn't right, that it wasn't whatever. And um, so God had prepared me for that so that I was, was strengthened uh, by Him. And I also recognized that uh, that particular person had the eyes to see artistically but did not have the eyes to see spiritually. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to me a great sadness that somebody could look at these beautiful little children who had been murdered. And the only response would be, I don't like the shading, or I don't like the color, or I don't like something. Um, And it seems to me, I actually wrote in my journal, he's an artist in one sense and I in an entirely different sense.
0: Yes. I loved, um, was it my husband that said a little while ago when we were talking that, you know, you are... He's the master artist, mm-hmm. painting or drawing or doing the work through you. And as a believer, as someone who seeks to walk by faith every day, that's just how we need to see ourselves is that it's really not us doing the work. He's doing it through us. We're just His hands, His feet. Right. Um, and I love what you say that you're not an artist, but you're a pencil in His hand. And That's that true. is just beautiful. I, just, I love that analogy, it's, it's gorgeous.
1: Well, and you know, Melanie, we all, as Christians, we all say these things, like, um, uh, I can do all things through him who strengtheneth me, mm-hmm. but, and I can do nothing separate from you. We say those things mm-hmm. very readily, But when the rubber meets the road, I think we think we can do lots of things separate from him, Right. that we're actually doing them, and that maybe he is up there on some high plane someplace sort of overshadowing and kind of watching, but that really we're down here getting the work done. And uh, it's a blessed, blessed thing to be able to give that up and to say, I'm not doing a doggone thing. And because then the results are his own. The strength all comes from him. The doors are all opened by him. Um, it's all about him. Right. It's, it's, and, you know, he could have chosen anybody. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that he chose me doesn't really make very much difference at all. And I think the only thing that matters is that he wanted these children to speak to the world, and he simply looked down and found somebody to do it. Um, who's to say whether he asked 10 people before me and they didn't respond? Maybe I was the, the 11th <laughs> choice for all we know. But um, it's um, it's a blessed thing just to say, well, it's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. Mm.
0: Well, you are world-renowned now because the, <laughs> the beloved, the, the, the pictures, the faces of these children are not just in your kitchen. They have gone all over the world and you just started this in 2017 we are just you know halfway through 2021 so that in itself is miraculous and only god can move his story forward at lightning speed to get to get these faces out um so when COVID hit in 2020 did that affect um people being able to see the beloved
1: Well, it did in the sense that prior to that, um, I would be invited someplace to exhibit. For instance, just about 10 days actually before the shutdown happened with COVID, I was in Philadelphia and um, they were exhibited for uh, two or three weeks uh, someplace and um, at a fine arts uh, gallery. And uh, I went for the opening and, you know, did the reception and all of that and spoke. Um, Well, all of that came to a crashing halt Mm -hmm. and um, so I wasn't sure what was going to happen but it ended up that because of COVID an awful lot of people were on social media more than they typically would be. Mm -hmm. And so the beloved Children of the Holocaust Facebook page just grew tremendously during that time and started being shared uh, in a lot of different places around the world that it had not been previously. Uh, It had been quite a lot of people had seen it uh, in Western Europe, but it started being viewed, uh, you know, in Africa and in Russia and in Indonesia and you know in Brazil and you know wow. what have you, and so. Um, uh, all of that happens because people share but I think that happens because the Lord uh, does as he wills I will say this though I hope I'm not real famous I hope I'm not famous at all mm-hmm. um, I hope that the babies are the babies mm-hmm. and I, I sincerely hope that that in the future people will see them and say oh those are the beloved um, and that they they don't even remember my name Wow what an attitude I
0: um, such a sweet spirit. Um, I think, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. It's You've talked about going to the Anne Frank Center
1: mm-hmm.
0: and something really unique happening as a result mm-hmm. of something you took
1: to give them. So tell us a little bit about that story. Well, we're really fortunate here. Uh, we have the first Uh, affiliated Anne Frank Center in North America is just opening here in uh, the central in Columbia South Carolina and so someone uh, who knew me vaguely I've never actually met the person but they know of me and they said I'd really like to introduce you just via email to this person who's the director of the Anne Frank Center and uh, so we emailed back and forth a couple times, and he said, why don't you come down to my office and we'll meet and chat. And I just felt very strongly the week before that, um, that I should have a gift for him. And one of the things, I don't sell my artwork at all, and so one of the things that's really special to me is that um, if I gift that to somebody, it truly is a gift it's not something they can get any other way other than getting it from me. And so I often draw things and I don't know who they're for, Hmm. but I know that they're going to be a gift for someone. And so in this instance, I wanted to do a portrait of Anne Frank to take as a gift. And, um, you know, the Lord told us to to give everything. So we're to be gift givers Mm -hmm. uh, in the literal sense and in the spiritual sense in every sense. Uh, So it's a great pleasure for me to get to actually be able to do it in the physical sense. But anyhow, I found, I did a little research. I found a picture of Anne Frank when she was five years old. Mm -hmm. And most of the pictures that you see of her, which are so ubiquitous all over the world are ones where she was a teenager. And um, I like to draw little children. And so I drew Anne. And loved drawing her. She was just like everybody else. I could just picture her mama there with me, and it was such a sweet, sweet thing. And so I went down, I met the gentleman, we talked for probably an hour and a half. It was a long conversation. And um, apparently I have this ability to bowl people over. I don't know why that is. But anyway, um, and so I said to him, I I have something that I want to give you. And I took it out and I gave it to him. Uh, Now this man has spent years and years and years affiliated with the Anne Frank Center and the Anne Frank House in, in Amsterdam. And he said, where did you get this? And I said, well, I found it in a series of things on Anne Frank, and he said, I have never seen this picture of her. Wow. And I thought that was quite amazing, considering that he's very much an expert on Anne Frank. <laughs> and so he said, um, he, he just loved it, and I was giving them the original, and um, there are only four or five original things of mine out in the world anywhere and um, so he said uh, would you be willing to have a uh, larger one of these made so that we could hang it here in the Anne Frank house and I said of course and then he said well would you consider letting us use it for our uh, you know, little cards that we hand out to all the visitors to come and I was like well sure and he said well would you consider doing them for the board of the Anne Frank Center and it just kind of went on and on and on and I was like well sure sure I would and um, then he he said um, there's actually a friend of Anne Frank from Amsterdam who is still alive living in Israel and he said would you consider drawing a portrait for her? as a surprise. And I said, well, how in the world would we get this to this lady in Israel? And he said, well, you know, the Holocaust Museum there is called Yad Vashem. And he said, oh, I think, I think our friends at Yad Vashem can get it to her. And so I was like, Well, okay, so I'm actually working on her portrait right now, which she has no idea about. But um, it just, you know, it's just one of those things. I would have never imagined, you know, that the Anne Frank Center would be the least bit interested in what I'm doing. And um, it... In fact, I even said to him when I before I handed him the original portrait, I said, you know if you don't like it, it's okay. if you don't want to show it, it's okay. If you just want to put it in a closet, it's okay <laughs> you know and um, and so um, again, you know the Lord just does what he does oh, and he just so. goes above and beyond anything as oh, the yeah. Scriptures say
0: that we can even dream or imagine yeah.
1: And, uh, well, and you know, one of the things that I have very much wanted uh, was for the babies to live on beyond me, and I don't want their voices to be silenced because I can't speak for them anymore, mm-hmm. and so that's one of the reasons we're making the documentary, because pretty much every single person for four years has said to me, Mary, the images are so beautiful, but people have to hear you talking about them. They have to hear you talking about them. And so we we decided to do the documentary for that purpose. Um, And I'm very pleased about that because see then 50 years from now, somebody can watch that and can hear me talking about the the babies if they want to. And um, the Anne Frank work, Again, you see, that's something totally separate from me. I mean, I don't have to be there, I don't have to be involved, I don't have to be the speaker, and that work can just go on. And so right away, almost within two or three days, they contacted me and said, you know, we're talking to some people about whether there should be a a coffee table book of The Beloved. Um, And they have all these contacts, of course, that I don't have. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know where to find me. (laughs) That's amazing um, as we kind of
0: conclude today I wanted to share with our audience that you know I was invited to be part of the audience of one of the recordings of a piece of the documentary and I got to hear you tell those stories of the beloved and your unveiling of each one and as their I mean their stories just draw you not only in, but to the edge of your seat (laughs) to literally hang on to every word that you're saying. It is one of the most powerful um, presentations I think I've ever sat in. Um, And as a person who has recently become very interested in that period of of time and um, with the war and the the Holocaust and all of those things, And just studying the Hebrew language, you know, with the scriptures and understanding Jewish culture and things like that. I've just been really drawn. And so when you uncovered Israel, I lost it. And I may lose it sitting here doing this podcast because he was, I don't know, it it was like he just pierced my heart. And knowing that his name is... Um, that he has come from a long generation of Jews all the way back to the forefathers with Jacob being renamed Israel and God saying you will be the father of a, of a nation and I'm calling you Israel. This will be the nation of Israel. And the, all those people for thousands of years that have come through that line and then for you to uncover that one little boy that was killed in the Holocaust who's Jacob's namesake, um, I don't know, it just wrecked me. And I've written an article to go along beside yours in the in the fall, winter, 2021 issue of Living Real to just give my, what I heard sitting and listening to you speak. Um, I think that it just uh, gave me such an even deeper love for the Jewish nation, for the Jewish people. And then it also awakened me again to that the evil that came through those, the Nazis and the evilness of all the people that gassed them and destroyed those Jews of that time was just another attempt on the evil one's part to steal, kill, and destroy God's redeeming work. But his people, the Jewish people, will be here until he finishes his work. And Mm -hmm. so no evil that anyone tries to do, no matter how horrific it is, will never thwart his amazing redemptive plan. And that was the layer of impact that hit me, was to know that God already said, there will be enmity between the woman's seed, which would be Jesus through the Holy Spirit in Mary, and with the, Satan's seed, and that has been going on for generations. The Jews have been hated, they've been um, many people destroyed, killed, and, and so forth, and it even brought me back to Herod at the same time when Jesus was born, and how Herod would his army ripped those children out of their mother's arms to murder them to try and keep from the King of kings and Lord of lords from doing what he came to do. And so there were so many angles (laughs) from your presentation, but it really, really has struck me. And um, I could sit and weep for days just thinking about the goodness and the faithfulness of Christ.
1: Well, and you know, one -hmm. of the wonderful things about this work is Um, that I as a Christian have the opportunity to go to many different types of Christian venues but Mm -hmm. I also get to go to a lot of synagogues, um, get to have a lot of interface with Jewish people um, in different places around the world and frankly some of them will say why are you doing this because they sort of can't believe that some Christian woman from the southern part of the United States is sitting drawing these little Jewish children like well why are you doing that Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's a way of the Lord saying to us, let me just reassert for you, you are all the beloved. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a great joy, and a, it's a great pleasure. And I think I told you, Melanie, you know, that I, I get the opportunity to see the ways that people worship, different ways that people worship. And um, you know, the love of God is so strong in people, mm-hmm. and people express it in different ways, um, but the faithfulness and the love of God is so strong and such a beautiful thing to see and i agree with you that uh, this you know the whole holocaust was just one more attempt to eradicate the people of god and um you know at the end of the day we're not sitting here talking about how awesome it is to live in the 95th year of the third reich we're sitting here talking about these babies they're the ones who are triumphant they're the ones who have lived on they're the ones who carry the message of God Mm -hmm. and so uh, you're not going to extinguish that nobody's going to no they will not and
0: um, one of the verses that I have used in the um, previous segment with going uh, into the word um, the Lord showed me in Psalm 135 and it was verse 4 and it says for the lord has chosen jacob for himself israel as his own possession so i think again when israel popped up under on that um on the podium that day and you unveiled his little face it again just just reemphasized how powerful god is and that he has a plan for all of us
1: So we can both just cry. I I know. (laughs) We just weep together. Israel is his own possession in in the small sense and in the greater sense. Yes. He's also in my possession
0: today because Miss Mary um, brought me um, a... photograph I guess you would call but a, a print of Israel and um, I almost didn't get to start this podcast because I was already choked up because he's sitting right here watching us as we were doing this podcast today but thank you so much Mary for spending time with me oh, it's my pleasure sharing with our audience um, encouraging us to just say yes and even not knowing what God's going to do with that yes just being willing to do that um, is powerful so I want to pray for you before oh, we end podcast today thank you okay. heavenly father thank you so much for just this time that we have to converse and with you being the center of our conversation lord i thank you for mary or just the impact that she's had on my life in just a few weeks is um just impressive and i thank you so much for her willingness to speak with us today and to share um, the beloved to um, be the pencil in your hand for you to share your children with us. Father, I pray that their little stories will will never grow old and that more and more people will come to know who they are, see their little faces, and even through that, Father, even more, see the face of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would use us for your, your power for your glory. Use your power in us for your glory and that we will just continue to take one step at a time, Father, and trust everything to you to do as you see fit in and through our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we give you praise and honor for everything. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Living Real Podcast. I hope you've been encouraged today to draw closer to Christ through His Word, to pray for a heart that's fully devoted to Him, and to engage with your circle of influence as you seek to live like Christ. I'm already looking forward to our time together next month. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Living Real Mag, and visit our website, At www.livingrealmag.com Until next time, we are in your corner cheering you on to live real for Jesus' sake.